Awesome. This is Educated Minds. Um, my name is Latondra Gibson, and I am from Memphis, Tennessee, and we'll be discussing different topics today. Hope you enjoy. All right. My name is Jordan. Um, I am from Houston. I am um, a management major, and I'm really interested in hearing what all my teammates have to say. I'm really excited to get their perspective, and we'll be starting in just a few moments. I'm Elisa Mendoza. I live in Houston and I am a corporate communications student at UHD and I'm excited to be here today. Hi, I'm Shauna. I'm from Houston. I am a interdisciplinary studies student at UHD and we're about to dive in on some different topics, guys. Woo, go Gators! (laughs) (laughs) So... Um, let's start this off with talking about slavery and discrimination in the United States and where it all started um, with a young lady by the name of Nicole Hannah-Jones doing a podcast wondering where slavery came from, how it all started. And she brings up some interesting facts about um, Thomas Jefferson writing the Declaration of Independence and how he's writing the most famous words of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that long these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What was interesting about that is he's writing those words about all men being created equal, but it did not apply to everyone. And they were talking about it not applying to slaves, not only (laughs) or black people. Um, Not only did it not apply to slaves, but he was a little bit of a hypocrite in writing those words because one of his own family family members was a slave. His wife's um, brother was a slave. His wife's dad had a child with a slave. And that person was his brother-in-law, which was also Thomas Jefferson's, like, um, I guess you want to say like butler or his assistant he was always with him to go on trips and stuff and do whatever he wanted him to do wanted him to do but those words he said did not apply to him um so that was a little bit of a contradiction and then we skip forward to abraham lincoln which everybody knows him as the famous immigrant which abraham lincoln was a hypocrite as well. He didn't think that slavery was, uh, he thought slavery was cruel, Um, but he also thought that black people were not, what do you, what do you call that? Um, The same on the same level as white people, even though he thought slavery, Mm -hmm. they were what? Beneath them. Beneath them. Correct. Mm -hmm. Um, but he writes, uh, he calls in five people 
um, that were freed slaves. And he wants to have a discussion with them and find out what they think. Um, they were losing the war at the time and he's asking them, hey, I was offered this money and I can send slaves to another country once they're freed. What do you guys think about that? And yeah, <laughs> they, they weren't. Well. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it didn't go over very well. They weren't very happy. Um, they couldn't, of, of course, they couldn't, you know, show this emotion while they were in the room with him. But when they left, you know, they were like, yeah, we're not doing that because America is my country. It's my home. It's all that I know. So yeah. why would we go back to a different country? Um, um, so that was really weird for me. But one of the most, I guess the thing that stood out the most for me was that the thing about Thomas Jefferson having a slave as a family member. Yeah, that one, then, yeah. You know, then um, Abraham Lincoln wanting to take freed slaves to another state, another country. Um, and he was only doing this because we were losing the war. So he was trying to, I guess, get us the upper hand of the war. And this was the Civil War at the time. So the good part about it by sending slaves back to a different country would be that they would, the Southern states would lose some of their labor and it would hurt them. And the Northern states would actually win or, but the bad part about it is it about it is that you now have 4 million freed slaves and they have no idea what the consequences would be of having freed slaves just running, you know, rampant in the United States, I guess. Um, and he tells these freed slaves, um, the five free ones that you and we are different races. Your race suffer very greatly, many of them by living amongst us while ours suffer from your presence. And that has to be the most racist thing I ever heard in my life. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? So he said it was better for us both to be separated. I don't, he's saying, I don't agree with slavery because I think that it's cruel, but your presence of blackness <laughs> is too much for us. I, I just think that shows how intimidated like the white man is <laughs> with black people in general. Like, from the get-go. Right. From the get-go. Yeah. And you you brought us here. Like we didn't ask to come. Like I guess that's the right. problem that with everything. And this is people that we still to this day idolize. Like it's crazy mm -hmm. that we idolize like even with Abe Lincoln, like he didn't even free black people for real because they weren't in the union. Like they were fighting the civil war. He can't free somebody who's not under the union. Like that's crazy. So it's just like we give a lot of credit to just these white figures because they're the figures of our enterprise. But ultimately, they don't care about us. Well, when I say us as a black woman, I feel like they don't care about me or my children or my family because they see us as beneath them. And that's something that's still going on in 2021. 
Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Really wild how even after this long, like the history books are not edited to give a more true account of the context. Like it's feels really, um, it feels beyond just protecting that story. Like you're presenting a narrative that's so false that it's like, like a razor of history is like, feels like violence when it's such an important part of a narrative and you still leave it out after so long. Like it just feels like. Absolutely. Yeah. Just Absolutely. So I, I just want to piggyback on one other thing is that this was thought of like this this happened in around 1619 but we know that was it the declaration of independence wasn't written until the 1700s um there was actually no mention of slavery at all wow. it didn't come they, they talked about it but they didn't want it in the constitution um because it was, you can't say that you're going to free slaves. We're not going to talk about that. So they totally took it out and didn't want it in there at all. And it didn't come about until the 1700s where they added the amendments for the 13th Amendments to abolish slavery, the 14th Amendment, which is um, every slave will be a citizen of their country of birth. And then the 15th, when they gave them the right to vote, not women, just men. But if you were a freed slave, you could vote. Okay. Okay. I, I think that just proves what we're on now. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm curious if y'all wouldn't mind. I know this is out of the order that we had initially discussed, but my, when it comes to like erasure of history, my section is kind of related to that yeah it does actually i read i read yours so yeah Yeah, jump in mind if i i did my section really quick no sure sure go ahead and i'm gonna end it in like about three or four minutes so that y'all can jump in as well um but let's see let me just pull up my notes really quick um so essentially what this writing it was an account um of women that in the civil rights movement um and a little bit before and a little bit after when that movement is formally defined but essentially were had cases of sexual assault um and and rape and just aggression of of many accounts um and many natures that was quite frankly it was weaponized it was their bodies were weaponized their lives were were weaponized um and certainly beyond objectified and their cases that were brought to trial that were extremely significant um in bringing these these aggressors and criminals to justice are really left out like a deep erasure of of the accounts of their um, justice is just left out of many um, accounts of history of that period, which is, I mean, just from an emotional standpoint, you know, because we had a question about like, how do you feel listening or, or reading it? And it's obviously really difficult 
I think um, as women to read horrific accounts of, of other women's pain, um, because I think that there's a commonality that we all have between each other, a recognition of that experience to some extent. There are many women, all the women I know, I would say like 90% of them have experienced some type of sexual aggression in their lives, you know, in, in, in a scale, in a sliding scale. And so it's really um, jarring to hear that these women's stories and the amount of work that they did to bring those cases to justice um, was just erased, you know, to a certain extent when it comes to like written record. Um, and I think it would have been nice, like it was talking about like, do you have questions about or disagree with the way the material was presented in this week? And I, I don't mean to answer that question so directly, but I think it would have been nice to see what cases alongside these women's cases were also occurring that did get historical recognition. Like, were there white? Well, that's easy. White women. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's what I'm saying. Like, is it is like the proportion of that? Like, I'm I'm interested in because it's just like I. It was just fascinating, and, and it went really when we're talking about like rewritten history um it's it was really striking and um it was really lengthy and there's a lot of more details of the cases involved but when it comes to intersectionality too um in the definition of that which i know someone explores in a different part but because yes women's cases um especially of this nature have a certain stigma around them and how they're treated and how victims are recognized, but especially women of color. I mean, it's fighting a, and one that I will never understand. And I, under, I understand that, but it's fighting so many fights at once just to have your voice heard and, and to work towards that level of justice. And it's very clear here, like the systemic nature of the oppression just in the way that it was recorded too. So again, it was really um, obviously difficult to read, but it, it related a lot to what we just discussed. So um, at about four minutes here, I'm at, so I'll let y'all um, chime in with your thoughts on that as well. I mean, I think that's pretty normal. I feel like it just even, not even put it aside, just women, like black people in general's history has always been a race. It's always been like, we're making ourselves victims when you just don't know the whole story. Like you're just now getting deep pieces of the story in the 21st history. And that's just because we're marching and protesting because it's still happening. So I, I just feel like this is a normal topic, which is why, you know, when we talk about these topics and we put men and women you have to add race because race is always the important factor when you're in a boys club a white boys club to be exact yeah. because even but white women don't even get the same no, they're just they higher don't. on the pedestal than us yeah but you you still as a black person you have two things against you that we're fighting in this boys club mm-hmm. yeah well i think that's like where the where the topic of intersectionality i don't know who has that section um but um I have that section yeah and, and maybe it's natural for you to, for you to talk about that next if you if you'd like but um I know that speaker does address how a lot of issues 
and again, I, I fully understand that I can only speak to this to the extent of an observer. I understand that I'm not a woman of color, but I do know that a lot of significant issues for women of color are only treated as one side or the other, like treated as people of color or treated as women, but not the unique issues that stem from no. both. Let me Correct. stop you there. And let me stop you there. As a woman of color, it's not that we're treating as a woman of color or a, a black person. We're treated as blow. So the black man is always going to be higher than the black woman because that's just how society is set up with mm-hmm. white men. Like white men is the top, then it comes any other man all the way down to black. And then mm-hmm. it comes the white woman and any other race all the way down to black. So when we think about white women, even though we're the most educated, the you know, the most stable, you know, have, you know, the track record of being one of the strongest women in America, period, we're still the bottom of the totem pole. Like I still can go for the same job as you and still lose because of the color of your skin, not because of how intelligent or the accolades that I bring, because you have a advantage that I don't have. So when I when you say that, I understand that you're being as genuine as you possibly can, but it, it, it's not true, unfortunately. Oh, I, sorry, I think I I'm miscommunicating what I what I intended. So like intersectionality, the, the speaker was how people treat issues of people of color and issues of women independently, and so the the point is like intersectionality misses unique issues of both overlapping. That's, that's what I meant is that not that you're not recognized as both, but that that's, that's the kind of the point of the intersectionality issue is that there's unique things that come from different variables overlapping, which I guess maybe now, Alyssa, if you want to talk. Yeah, I will actually start by defining what intersectionality means. And it's a, it's a framework for understanding how aspects of a person's social and political identities combine to create different modes of discrimination and privilege. Okay, so I'm gonna talk about the videos that I saw, which were video one and two, where uh, Kimberly Williams talks about how <laughs> black women are being killed and not really being put out there in the media, she did a little survey where she started naming black men that were killed by police. And most of the people knew those people, those men. But when she started naming the female names of African-Americans that were, or just American, mm-hmm. black American women, mm-hmm. nobody knew them. Nobody knew them about it. And honestly, I myself did not know about that. And that blew my mind because how could I not be informed about the things that happen around me? You know, right. especially me being a woman. Um, uh, for the intersectionality, um, Kimberly talks about how women how General Motors back in the day had uh, black women try to sue them because according to them, they they were being discriminated uh, by their race and their gender because they were not able to get the job as a white woman. Like white women could get like an office job you know like a secretary but they got mm-hmm. dirty jobs because that's how they view us 
Yeah, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, they, I, I can yeah. I can speak on that personally in my job right now. There, I I work in a male dominated field in insurance, and I do estimates on vehicles. That that's a male. It's primarily white women. It's primarily white men that are in this job. And there's about, I want to say in the Houston, Texas area, there's probably about 55 of us total. And out of the 55, two of us are Black women. Wow. So it, it's, it's, it's relevant right now. Yeah. So what blew my mind was that... Um, According to the judge at the time when General Motors, you know, got sued or they, the women tried to sue him, you know, their excuse was, we do hire black people and we do hire females. But it's like they're not seeing what the issue is. You know, they're like, oh, is yeah, it? we are. Hired. Yeah. But, you know, the roles are totally different. And it's not that they don't see it. They don't care. Yeah, basically. Absolutely. Yeah, they're not directly Absolutely. affected, so they don't care. It's like they're trying to just meet the the number. The to, yeah, to not be um, sexually biased or yeah, discrimi- and they use discrimination. That as, yeah, they use that as an excuse. Yeah. So I hired you. You do work for my company. I do have Black people, but there are no black people in higher positions or if there are black people in higher positions, there's one. Right. And they're not considered the standard black person. They're the one who, as we like to call it, whitewash. They're going to do whatever the white person tells them to do. They're going to kiss, but they're going to do what they feel they need to say, monetize or, you know, try to hold back who they really are because they feel like that's what's needed to get through white America. And that's not fair. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. It sucks. Well, I guess that kind of brings me to, you know, week four, like week four breaks down a little bit of all of the weeks in my opinion, because it, everybody knows about the coup. Everybody on this line knows about the coup that started 2020, where these crazy <laughs> people, and sorry if anybody's offended, but I don't care. These crazy people got to cut down the walls of the White House. So basically, oh, yeah. y'all saw that? Yeah. 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 So, like, in these um, podcasts, they're breaking down, like, it blew my mind how much information the White House had prior to this, like, People were telling them, hey, I'm getting death threats. I'm getting this. They're organizing a plan now. We come from the country of, and I know Scandal is not a real movie, but M16 is real. B16 yeah. or whatever it's called is real. Like, they, they like tap it. into our phone calls if we say, you know, I want to kick the president in a kneecap. They're going to record our call, right? So yeah. you're telling me that a whole group of white supremacists, because that's ultimately what they were, decided they were going to take over the White House. How did they plan this? Emails, phone calls, like correspondence that should be trackable because they track everything. Mm-hmm. We, we know the NSA is listening to us or whatever it's called. Yeah. We know they're listening to us. So it's just like, why didn't they catch it? And th- this podcast like basically calls that to the forefront. Like how 
Do we have a president that says on a national speech, sit back and wait? Our time is coming, basically, on a public debate, and we don't take it serious. And then when this coup happened, he gets no accountability? Yeah. You know, the people who were guiding them to the rooms where everybody was gets no accountability? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's crazy. And it just further shows, like, okay, everybody knows about the white woman who was shot in the middle of the coup, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what my, one, the podcast is telling us is that it was definitely a black woman shot maybe two, three weeks prior that nobody knew about. Correct. I read about that. And that's crazy because when we hear say her name, everybody remembers, you know, we know about Sarah Bland. We know about, you know, Breonna Taylor. Breonna Taylor. right. We know about yeah. them, but we have no clue about this black woman. But that white woman who was in the middle of a freaking coup who was out there chastising people who got shot because she wasn't being this, got a whole GoFundMe. For what? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it's crazy because even they break down, like, they're fighting into getting to something that Black people built. The White House was built by Black hands, not white hands. So why is it just now that we getting a Black female? As, and let's be clear, she's not even completely Black. We claim her, because that's as close as we're going to get to cocoa butter in the office. But she's not even completely bad. So, no, she's not. And, 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 that's, and that's even the crazy part to me. Like, we are appreciative that we're making that stride, but they're labeling her as a Black woman when she labels herself as an Indian woman. Yeah. Prior to this election. That is correct. That is and correct. even with her spot in Senate, like, now there's no Black women in the Senate because she is now the vice president. And it's just like, it's crazy because one of the articles breaks down how it's so hard for a black woman to run under the Democratic Party when we're the backbone of the party. Like, how did we directly affect and change who our president administration is and we can't get a black woman in a higher office? Like, they just now start giving black mayors any recognition. And that's because of the mayor of Atlanta, Keisha, going to bet with the governor. Like, come on, y'all. Like, this is clearly not okay. And, and I think... The problem is, and what I think do respect about our teacher giving us this top these topics is, I feel like she personally wants us to understand the underdog story, and, and yeah. I can't speak for the the white person or you know the Mexican woman or you. And I'm sorry if I'm saying anything that's offensive. I'm sorry, I'm just calling it how I normally speak. But and even with me having to do that as a black woman, I have to make sure that. I apologize if I say something that's not politically correct because then I'll be labeled as the angry black woman or aggressive or this yeah. where anybody else can do the same thing, you know? And it, and it sucks because it's just like, when is this going to change? When is this boys club going to go away? Clearly our constitution was wrote on BS the whole time. And, <laughs> and that's just the reality. We learned yeah. that with Shauna. We learned that with Jordan. We learned that with you. You know, we learned all of that. So when, when is it going to change? Like, it, yeah. at this point, she's giving the underdog story, but do you but America, <laughs> America is hoping that with Kamala in office, that's going to bring forth change for the Black woman. But it didn't change with Obama, so why would it change with her? He was a Black man. I'm sorry. I don't really got that much faith in her, because if you look at her track record, <laughs> for the Black person. So, I'm, I'm bored. <laughs> She looks like she might smell like a little cocoa butter, but I just ain't, I just don't have that much faith. She's a agent, just like all of them are in a political, like a highly detached, like political system. I, 
I think if anything, like it's the fact that she's there is significant and it's yeah. incredible. Yeah. But in terms of her like making meaningful change, it's not at all that I don't wish it upon her. Like I'm very liberal. I'm very everything, but even Joe Biden, like even everyone that voted for him, a lot of them are like disappointed in what he's doing just because they're an agent of things that have nothing to do with them. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I really hope that one day we, we can have some change though. I think Gen Z, to be honest with you, I think Gen Z is a very unique generation that's coming up right now and in unique in a, a, diff, a few different ways and, and perhaps they'll be able to infuse, you know, our current society with something that maybe we haven't seen before because a lot of them were not even remotely near a, a perfect system. I mean, that's a ridiculous word to even use when it comes to equity in any way but that generation I think of all generations prior is coming into possibly less um I I know the systemic nature of racism is definitely incredibly present I'm not trying to dilute that in any way but of all generations we've had yet I think that they I don't know I I think they are coming into a unique situation I feel like I get what you're saying. And you know the mm-hmm. reason why they're coming into a unique situation? Because their grandparents is dying. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like the grandparents okay. is the ones who tell you. Like, because I grew up in a, in a mix. Oh, they're, 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 they're race, more race conscious grand. They're, they're basically their racist grandparents are dying. Is yes, that that's exactly okay. what I'm saying. I don't know because I grew up in COVID direction, or I wasn't totally sure what you meant. But yeah, no, no, no. I just feel like I'm talking about the general. boomers. Their generation is yeah. The baby boomers are dying out. <laughs> like yeah. they're living longer than normal, but they're dying out. So those because I went to a high school where they used to have the correct Confederate flag on their car and say Ooh. it's not racism, it's heritage. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Because their mom taught them that. Their dad taught them that. We don't eat with them. They're this. They're that. You know, and they would be friends with us at school. But yeah. when you got home, you did not exist. We can go to the bonfire when their parents was out of town. Yeah. But if my mama come back, you got to go. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, yeah. and that's why, you know, I feel like we have a lot of mulatto kids now because they like us, but we can't go home with you. You know, like yeah. I got caught with a baby, but, you know, your daddy still can't come to my house. You know, like I, it, it's a I lot will, of I will say on two two things that I know of, I have a very close friend of mine that her mother um, is actually biracial. She's mm-hmm. half white, half black. She knew her dad because that's who she was raised by, but her mother didn't want anything to do with her. Her mother is, is white and she's from Minnesota. Wow. And she had other children after she had my, my friend's mom. She had other children that were all white. Her oldest kid was the only one that was biracial. So when she became an adult, she went to Minnesota from Texas to Minnesota to find her mother. And she closed the door in her face. Wow. And that's crazy because I have a Mexican best friend. <laughs> Mexican. And when I say... Her grandmother just passed. I rest her soul because she did like me. It's the only black person she liked. But 
she literally taught my best friend that you're just a dark-skinned Mexican. She used to make her sit on the porch. She couldn't go out and play with the rest of the kids because her father was Black. She said, and when I met my best friend, she was in high school after Hurricane Katrina. Like, she was old enough to know that she was Black. She literally told me, no, I'm not Black. I'm, I'm Mexican. I'm just a dark-skinned Mexican. Look, let me show you. My grandma always told me that. And even when she died, I was at her funeral like, you know, I'm literally the only Black person that she has a picture of. And y'all don't see nothing wrong with that? No, you know, what, you know what? That's, that's that. I can actually say that that it's true in the Latino culture. They're very like that, and it's really sad. Really, really sad. Yeah. I have. I, I grew up around a lot of Hispanic Mexican people in Austin, Texas, and none of them were had any racism or colorism. Shall I say? None of the ones I think that it I grew up on. Either they're completely like that or they're not. Yeah. Like with her not. kids. Yeah. Like her kids, like my best friend's mom, it's not a racist. She clearly had a black kid. Her daughter had her first kid was a black kid too. You know, like they accepted me. Like she calls me her little black child. I mean, that's still kind of racist, but it's okay. You know, it's not like a, like I feel like everybody is racist to a certain extent. Yeah. And you're yeah. just not prejudiced. To a degree. Yeah. There you're you just not prejudiced. There you you don't treat me different yeah. because I'm black. You might notice it. You might understand, you know, we do mm-hmm. things a little different, but you can be racist, but not prejudiced because you don't have to treat me different because I'm black. You can notice it. You can acknowledge it, but that's it. Yeah. Wow. I think we did good, y'all. <laughs> I think this is pretty awesome. I learned a lot. I'm really glad. <laughs> we got this. Well, what do you think you learned? What do you think? Like, oh, what no. do you think? I, don't, I didn't really know that. I mean, some things I kind of, I can relate to, but other things I really didn't know about that was going on with like, you know, in the community or around here with intersectionality, basically. I just, mm-hmm. you know, what, what I read from, I don't know, I feel like I learned a lot, especially now of being aware of certain things that my Black community goes through. You know, right. it's not always just about the Latino, Black people are suffering as well. Yeah. And I think that's something like with Latinos that a lot of people don't think about because it's just like it's between Blacks and Latinos, like we're all brown people. Like, we all in the same boat. Like, they don't like us just as much. I mean, they They like y'all just a little bit more than they like us, but they don't (laughs) like y'all either. They don't like us either, girl. I mean, I love you. you We we don't mean anything by that. Right, I love you. Bring bring the the enchiladas, but you know. No, I um, I personally, and I, I mean, it's a ridiculous statement to say this, but obviously, for all people, which is just a stupid sentence to even utter. But um, I personally just feel like all I can do is be, be like humble myself in the concept that I do not know and will never completely understand obviously the experience of anyone that is a different race than me. And it is absolutely my obligation, my responsibility and what everyone around me deserves that is having a different experience than me. And it's not just race, but just someone who has a neuroatypical experience or just anything really like I education and just being held accountable for being better towards others is like mm-hmm. all I can do you know and right and I mm-hmm. but that's the starting block yeah 
And if that's the thing, absolutely, that's absolutely, to do, though, because it's like education doesn't exactly equate action, and that's right. That's a thing that I don't think a lot of people understand either. And I don't want to be like someone who just posts like like things on social media. You know what I mean? Like that is mm-hmm. something that performative. Like I'm not socially performative about it, but like in this pre- like in this space, like all I can do is listen and learn and be observant and like hold myself accountable to like questions that you ask me you know and and i think that um education yeah is is just where it i is, yeah. that being said yeah. obviously the experience of being a woman you know i sold cars for four years so i was in a working at a car mm-hmm. a lot that goes on there like in terms of objectification and things like that but we are we kept this conversation very substantive but we are actually inching towards um when our our restriction on the um recording so but we can end it i think yeah I, but I think we can all agree that this was um i really appreciate everyone's time yeah i really appreciate everyone absolutely time. really appreciate yeah yeah it was really good speaking with you guys about this topics i really like the conversation as well i did too i learned a lot and i appreciate all you guys' input I think the next one, you know, now that we have this too, and I don't mind this being recorded also is, is going to go even smoother because we have like an idea of the structure. Um, so um, yeah, thank y'all. And I hope everyone has a, a safe and productive remainder of their week. Um, and Over and out, educated minds. <laughs> All right. Yo, we'll talk more later. Bye. Thanks guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks guys. Bye.